Are we on number Absolutely, nine? Absolutely, I think. We've Eight? overtaken the last season. Wow. Go us. I know, right? Mm, right. So, hello, everybody. Hello. My name's Asia. And my name's Mamve, and welcome to... Episode 8 of Audacious Aunties, never been seen before, 8 episodes in. Congratulations to season 2. Chat poetry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Righty, um, I am presenting today. Indeed you are. I'm very excited to start talking about my guy, even though I literally did also find him half an hour ago. But that's fine because that doesn't mean anything that's about the depth of their poetry. Just the depth of exactly. my dedication. Don't expose us, Before we get started on that, how are you doing, pal? I am doing fabulous. You know what? I'm actually, I feel like we're really getting our stride with social media. I know we went on about this in the last episode, so we won't go on about it for too long. <laughs> Exciting things are ahead, so if you're not following us, then you should be, because it is going to be absolutely lit. I agree. I think I said absolutely banging last week, so let's change up that verb, <laughs> alright. And as well as that, we have been talking on social media about what we want to do about the next season of Audacious Aunties. We are now on episode eight, which has never been seen before. So it means that season two will have to come to an end fairly soon. But we do want to get a quick start on season three or even a side series that we were thinking of doing where we have like an agony aunties thing going on. So please send us your thoughts on that because we really want to make this as um, much of a conversation with you guys as it is just between us two. So send us what you want season three to be and then send us if you have any problems and then also listen to our podcast on Saturday and then also follow us on social media and also come and join us on our Instagram lives at three o'clock every Saturday. They're always so much fun. Indeed. So really it's low maintenance hanging out with us. Exactly. We're like cats. Now that we've established that, shall we move on to me, 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 me. If we must. <laughs> well, today I'll be talking about. Well, you know how in the last episode we were talking about how. I we... love that we're always such teasers when it comes to <laughs> who we're going to talk about. I swear, the episode will start and three times we'll be like, today we're going to talk about. Oh, do you know what I was thinking about the other day? <laughs> <laughs> it's not my fault that my mind can't stay in one direction, it needs to bounce in multiple ways. Yeah. It's how excellent content comes out. Well, hopefully excellent content comes. Okay, well, now I need to know what you're going to say. I will continue with what I was going to say. So, you know how in the last episode we were talking about how, so far, everyone who we've talked about has been from the 20th century. Well, all bar Rumi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. now we can add another person to the non-20th century club. Yay! Yes, be excited, everybody. It's going to be a lit time, and as well as that, this person is not from any country that we've talked about yet in this season. Oh, so Where they, from? they are from China. Nice. So I might as well do the big reveal now who this person <laughs> is. So this person is called Wang Wei, and he is a Tang Dynasty poet. And he lived between the years 699 to 759. It's really weird saying years that don't have like a teen to them, like 16 blah blah. 
So. Well, but, you could say that. You could say sixteen ninety nine. Well, no, because this is six nine nine. Oh, well, we're really kicking it back. We okay, really okay. are kicking it back. <laughs> Isn't it wild? That's, have we ever done anybody that old? I don't think so. Well, we've spoken about Sappho, but that doesn't really count because it was the artist wasn't yeah, that old. Yeah, Goddard wasn't that old. No, so congratulations to us. Yay! Oh, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Good chunk of the century, I'm just saying. It is a nice chunk of the century. Um, it's weird though, because on another website that I was reading about this person, they said that um, they were born between 701 and 761, but... Yeah. I know, it's kind of Jesus vibes, isn't it? I was literally thinking that. I was like, well, if Jesus isn't even born on 0 AD, then can we really say whenever anybody else is born? <laughs> Time is but a human construct. Um, carrying on about this guy, Wikipedia has actually been very helpful for this person, considering how old... When is it? Sorry? When is it not? Exactly. But considering how old this person is... I'm very impressed with how much of their work still remains to this day. Uh-huh. So, clicks to history. So, this person, as well as being a poet, was also a musician, a painter, and a politician during the Tang Dynasty. Oh, nice! Mm-hmm. If we get kickstarted onto his life, let's find out what he's actually doing with his life. So, he was born into an aristocratic family um, of Han ethnicity. He was the oldest in a set of five brothers. And so when he was 19, he went to the imperial capital to join the civil service. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So from then on, he went on to do like very well in whatever he was doing. He originally became a court musician or also known as- Well, that's such a classic. Who doesn't ever dream of being a court musician? There's a SpongeBob episode where- (laughs) There's a, I think it's Squidward is, or Patrick, one of the two, either Patrick willingly or Squidward is forced to be a court gesture. Oh, that's different. Yeah, I was about to say. There's music as well, but I don't know, it just reminded me of that. I thought the general dream was to be a court gesture. I've never really heard of anyone saying I want to be a court musician. I know, but it's like the elite tier, you know? Yeah, court anything with the title in that name. Exactly. Yeah, um, anyway, he was a court musician, or also known as a deputy master of music, but I prefer court musician, so let's go with that. But sadly, after that, he was demoted to a position of being in charge of a granary in a faraway <laughs> province, because apparently he played music that the emperor didn't like. Oh, he breached the etiquette of court by performing a lion dance. What does that mean? Um, so the lion dance is the traditional dance where you mimic a lion and you have that big costume um, thing where the lion stretches across many people on the lion's head. But also this is usually performed during Chinese New Year. I don't know what, how it breached etiquette. If anybody does know, please let us know because yet again cannot specify how unqualified we are. So (laughs) (laughs) let's continue. Exactly. We are but to your Wikipedia podcasters. So after that, he was um, sad and far away from the capital, but he eventually got back on track because his brother, who was also high in the court, like got him those contacts going on. Excellent. We love um, us some nepotism. Exactly. Love the beauty of nepotism. So then... 
And a big part of his life was the Anxi Rebellion, which was a huge rebellion against the Tang Dynasty in China. So a lot of his life was taken on by that. Apparently he was also arrested and imprisoned by the Tang government because he was suspected as a traitor. But yet again, his brother came and just saved the day. So it's all chill. But also, as well as his brother saving the day, his poetry also saved the day because they looked at his poetry from the time and realised that he wasn't a traitor because I'm guessing he either didn't write about the war or wrote nice things about the government. Um, Which is really beautiful, you know, that's the the power of the written word. I know, right, the power of the written word and your brother being powerful. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm glad that that happened. And it was really sad because afterwards Wikipedia talks about how he never lived to see the empire return to peace. And I don't well, know why that struck a chord with me. Why? Well, I guess it's just the idea of not seeing something complete. And with something yeah. as big as a war, which is completely all consuming to not just yourself, but like your whole country or the whole world, it just seems so odd to die in the middle of it even though so many people obviously do yeah i it reminds me of cicero because all he wanted was to keep the integrity of the republic but then he was killed that's really unfortunate and he i mean actually maybe it was a blessing in disguise because then we got the empire so you win some you lose some you know exactly yeah, no, this guy is quite iconic. One of the reasons why I chose this guy as well is that we talk a lot about how frustrating it is that non-Western arts doesn't really have much of a hold on the Western world. But then I was looking at his cultural references and there is a whole bit on Wikipedia which talks about his influence in the West. Ah, interesting. Yeah. And I just find that really beautiful. So, for example, um, he inspired the Austrian composer's um, Gustav Mahler's penultimate completed work called, God help me, Das Leid von der Erde. Wow, very good. My German Duolingo has taken me on a journey. Um, Anyway, it loosely translates to Wang Wei's Farewell. So, to completely dedicate a set of work to another like big person in the arts world who wasn't even living at the same time as you really shows the kind of influence this guy had on poetry yeah that's amazing Mm-hmm. and as well as that there's this really nice um quote as well um which talks about his work let me find it so Oh yes, here it is. It says, Wang Wei was famous for both his poetry and his paintings, about which Su Shi, who was a Song Dynasty poet, so he lived um, in the Ten Hundreds, and he said that his poems can be summed as the poems holding a painting within them, and in observing his paintings, you can see that within the painting, there is also poetry. Wow, that is so deep. I know. It's it's so lovely as well to just see how this one person has a hold of the arts as well. Because whenever we think of prominent people in the arts, it's always interesting to see how they kind of thrive in just one subsection of it. Whereas a lot yeah. of the artists who we've looked at, such as like Amrita Shergirl, they 
were prominent in various parts, whether or not it be poetry or literature or art, and it's nice to see how they all come together. Yeah, I get you, man. So I'm yeah, impressed with that this. That is guy. really beautiful, and also, yeah, it's just the arts, man, clicks all round. I know it's just some beautiful, wholesome content. Mm-hmm. So. I think now is a good time to move on to his poem, I suppose. I'm really excited for this. I, I'm excited for it too. So, it's a short poem, only a few mm-hmm. lines long. It's called Thinking of My Brothers East of the Mountains on the Ninth of the Ninth Moon. Okay. And one of the things that first stuck out to me about the title of the poem was how long it was. Um, but as well as that... That stuck out to me as well, yeah. But as well as that, it also highlights something besides love, which is a lot of the things that we've talked about in our poetry, which just poetry in general talks about. So when you mm-hmm. do see a poem that isn't about love, it always has kind of different resonance, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Whether it'll be good I or mean, bad. I guess it is about love, but just a familiar a family kind of love yeah so not romantic love yeah um and you don't really see family love come up as much as romantic love does i get what you mean yeah and family deserves more poetry (laughs) it does you tell them start the campaign (laughs) you know what i will my (laughs) grassroots campaign starts now (laughs) (laughs) okie dokie so moving on to the poem let us begin All alone in a strange land, a lonely stranger am I. Thoughts of my kindred redouble on every festive day. From afar I know, O brothers, where in the hills we'd be, each wearing a spray of dogwood, all but the one away. Wow. Mm -hmm. Um, But as well as that, I also want to read another translation of it. Okay, yes. Where the dogwood is translated in a different kind of way, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to read that bit now because it's only four lines long, so please allow me. Yes, you are, <laughs> and I give you divine permission, Bertha. Thank you. So this one goes, All alone in a foreign land, I am twice as homesick on this day when brothers carry dogwood up the mountain, each of them a branch and my branch missing. Yeah. You know what? This is such an emotional poem. It is. It's really emotional. And I'm assuming... Well, obviously, this is at a point when he's no longer in, like, the main city. When he's been exiled to the granary. Yeah. And I think it's important that we pick up on the meaning of dogwood in all of this before we get going. Yes. Yeah, I had a couple of questions about meanings and things before I made any comments, so... Okie dokie. So, basically, um, the ninth day of the ninth moon of the lunar month is the Chinese festival of Chongyang, um, when traditionally the whole family would go up to the hills to celebrate. Um, So, wearing in the hair of a spray of dogwood, or around the arm, a pouch of the same, and imbibing ale or wine scented with chrysanthemum so is there more to that sentence um i'm trying to find out more so a spray is a twig or sprig with leaves and all which in this case are the fruits slash dogberries that ripen in autumn oh okay uh-huh uh-huh yeah i think that the two translations are 
very beautiful in their own right, but also interesting. And there's different bits about them which I like or prefer to one another. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So one of the things that I like about the second poem mm-hmm. is when it talks about when brothers carry dogwood up the mountain, each of them a branch and my branch missing. So that line, when it talks about a branch and my branch missing, I like the personification of the brothers as being branches. And how in it you kind of think of like a family tree and then he talks about his branch missing. Which yeah. makes me so sad because you can just see how much this guy <laughs> just wants to be with his family. I mean, it sounds like his brothers have his back because they always bailed him out of situations. But, <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, uh, just check I understand the sentence right. I, in my mind, I was imagining it as the brothers were carrying branches. They weren't the branches themselves. Yeah, so they're carrying branches up the mountain. But then in the end line... The branches are... Well, in my mind, I think the branches are personified as the brothers, oh, as the I family. I see what you mean, like, each branch is the brother, like a, uh, like a appendage. Yeah. Almost. So when he talks about my branch missing, he's talking about how he's missing from his family. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah um, I get what you... Uh, yeah, you know what is... It's really nice... I don't know, because we talk about this every single time we read a poem, but just to reiterate it... Go on, we love to hear it. Poetry is so eternal because it reflects human emotion, which is unchanging. Mm -hmm. Humans will always feel the same thing. And it anchors you in... It's almost an anchor in humanity, in the sense that maybe I can't relate to... Wang Wei's experience of life or anything that he's done but still like when I go to university and I'm feeling homesick that's a similar feeling to what he feels yeah in a granary somewhere yeah definitely it's easy to understand this guy's emotions in it and that we can raise in ourselves but then the difference in his words demonstrates that he is living in a different time and the way in which he chooses to write his words yeah, no, it, exactly. It's sort of, I know what you mean in the sense that the, uh, the grounding of emotion is the same, but the way that the situation in which it's put is what shows what their life experience is mm-hmm. and how, they, how, the, how these emotions have come about. Yeah. yeah. But it is, I don't know, it's just, it's a very sweet poem of love for your family and wanting to be with them. Mm-hmm. which is kind of an interesting thing to think about, especially now when people are either forced to be, not forced necessarily, but are in a very intense situation where you're just with your family 24-7 mm-hmm. or you're completely separated but from them and you can't see them. Yeah. So you're feeling very powerful emotions towards your family right now. And I guess this poem... But anybody who's not with their family right now wants to be with them would probably resonate a lot. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I like the way that he does kind of pick up on being alone in a time when everyone should be together. Um, so the way that in that context it's a Chinese festival going on and he's a lonely stranger. Whereas similarly in this context everyone is alone in their own right. But everyone's connected in a weird sense that we're all going through the same thing. So if yeah. you take out the Chinese festival for a global pandemic, 
And then bada bing, bada yeah. boom, you're in the 21st century. The potato, you know. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I'm really impressed again. Like, I know that we say this a lot too, but the translation in this is so well done, especially when it comes to short poems. Because yeah. I think even then, when you have less words to play with, you have to make sure that every single one counts, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And Who is the translator? Are they, like... Famous. So the first translator is Andrew W.F. Wong, who translated it in 2009. And the second translation, which I read, um, does not want to tell me who the translator is. So, yeah. Interesting. But in the f- Andrew's translation, he mm-hmm. has notes where he talks about um, how the rendi- English rendition is in hexameter, which is six metrical feet while the original is in um, seven character lines so the way that he's trying to play around with the rhyme scheme is really interesting and how some words should be stressed and unstressed and he also talks about why he decided to use different translations over others and a lot of it is I guess to do with the balance of trying to bring about the what the writer originally wanted to say but then with poetry as well there's the added bit of the rhythm of the poem Yes, yeah, for sure. It's like with harking back to Rumi, um, that his Musnavi is written in that very specific meter, but the English translation that we re- uh, that I have in my house is translated in iambic pentameter because that's the closest English rhyme scheme that we have. And it's just really interesting when it comes to translation it's really easy to fall into the idea that, oh, you're just translating one word to another. Mm-hmm. But the layers and depths you have to think about of the sentence structure and the rhyme structure and the stress and the um, what words need to be stressed and what order the words need to be in mm-hmm. and the emphasis of a word being at the beginning of the sentence or the line to show that it's important. Yeah. It also talks a lot about emotions not just through time but also through different cultures as well so again with like poetry translation when you look at this poem and how it was meant to be um in seven character lines but then for an english speaking audience it's given a hexameter for that more familiar feeling of how poet poem should be read that kind of translation of emotions is also shown through the rhythm of the poetry and you always wonder whether or not anything is lost like whether any emotion is different whether or not the words have changed meaning from language to language yeah i mean almost definitely it's kind of it does sometimes make me sad thinking about all of the literature that i'll never be able to fully appreciate just because i don't have the native touch to it yeah yeah and so even though i know urdu I don't know super complex terminology, which is often what comes around in poetry. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when my dad or my sister or my mum are reciting poetry, I can tell that the translation that I've received doesn't have the same resonance as the translation they just innately understand. Yeah. And it does make them sad and disconnected from my culture. Yeah, I understand. Um, even on sometimes basic levels, for example, Back in the day when I did Spanish A-level, and we had to, as part of the exam, translate certain passages of Spanish into English or vice versa. Um, It was always so hard sometimes with specific Spanish phrases to try and bring an English translation out from them, 
just okay. because it sounded so much better in Spanish. And in my mind, I was thinking, my God, this is only A-level level. There must be so many extra things later on in my Spanish development, which I'll find out about, which are just going to add so much more complexity to the language, which I will never truly appreciate. Yeah. But that's the beauty of language at the end of the day. And then as well as that, you have everybody's own like way in which they use their language. So will we ever really understand anything? No. No. I really, really enjoyed that. We need a jingle. Bum, ba, bum, 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 bum. Um, I hope everyone's staying safe again and keep on doing you. Exactly. You do you, you live your truth. And on that note, goodbye everybody. Bye. This audio was brought to you by Manvir Dob and Asya Iftikhar. We don't know much to say the least. But if you would like to share your thoughts, knowledge, criticisms, fan mail, then pop us an email at audaciousaunties at gmail.com.